Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. This is probably the earliest that Gab and I have ever recorded an episode, and it's because life piled up on us yesterday, in addition to a big technical snafu, so now, first thing in the morning, literally, we both woke up bushy-eyed and bright-tailed and got on the horn with each other to talk about soccer. Gab, what are you drinking? Is it bushy-eyed and bright-tailed, or is it bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? No, it's the first way. The first way was right. The way I said it. It was the correct one. I'm pretty sure I'm calling you out, and I'm the right one Tell today. us what you're drinking. Uh, so I will be drinking coffee in approximately one minute and 50 seconds. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So I got up, I took a shower, and now I'm podcasting. That That is my day. Oh, we're out of coffee filters. <laughs> Your life is so hard. After the day I had yesterday, yes, it is so hard. First of I all, know. Firstly, I'm, I'm missing a pint of blood. Your body can deal. Yeah, actually it can. I'm fine. I'm pretty beefy. I've never really felt that bad after donating blood. So I felt nauseous one time, but that was because um, I didn't like eat anything right after. Mm-hmm. I kind of missed the snack table, which is the entire point of donating. To me, sometimes, is like, ooh, Cheez-Its and apple juice. <gasps> How did you know? Yesterday at the snack table, I had Cheez-Its and apple juice. It's Red Cross, man. That's what they do. Wow. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, one time, I didn't eat anything. I just had a big old thing of coffee. I went and donated blood. Probably not the greatest idea. And afterwards, I was 100% fine. Because I'm beefy. Go you. Why why aren't you why weren't you 100% fine this time? Oh, uh so you know how they tell you don't do anything strenuous for the rest of the day? <laughs> that that was one part of it. The other the first part of it was <laughs> Wow. Keep going. You keep, weren't expecting keep. that, right? You're expecting keep. the other thing I told you about, which yeah. is yep. that's I was not expecting that part. Uh, I I thought that was we were keeping that type of stuff off the podcast. No, multiple stuff happened. First, the phlebotomist who stuck me did not get the vein entirely when he stuck me. So his overseer, this nice nurse lady, had to just be like, pull it back, pull it back, pull it. And so all he did was like root around in my arm with an. He didn't take it out. He just like wiggled the needle in my arm until finally it would catch. Some blood would come out. Then he'd let it go, it would stop. So finally that nice lady had to come over and just hold it in place until they were done sucking the blood out of me. Wait, she just held it in place? She yes. didn't try herself, like unstick you and try the other arm? No, she just held it in place. Because she she was like, once she held it in place, the blood flowed fine. Like if she held it in exactly the right spot. Yikes. So here's a real thing that I said to a grown human woman who had a needle in my arm and was removing my blood. I looked up at her and I said, I promise this has never happened to me before. I I wasn't thinking. I was just like, normally I'm really good at giving blood. Did she laugh? No, because she's a professional who's probably done this for years and didn't, you know, need to deal with dumb little me sitting there in my snapback. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I then- promise this has never happened before. <laughs> 
To a grown-ass stranger. Yeah. In an environment where she probably deals with this five times a day. Thankfully, she did not look at me and go, it's okay, you're just tired, we'll try again tomorrow. She just kept taking my blood and then told me, don't do anything strenuous. And I said, sure. And then I was like, you don't need to tell me. I'm fine. And then I went and I went to the grocery store and I filled a backpack full of heavy shit and walked all the way uphill to my apartment. And when I got there, I was like, why do I feel so bad? Oh, <laughs> that wasn't the thing that I was expecting you to tell us about, though. <laughs> um, the bag had a full bottle of <laughs> seltzer in it. That should tell you, like, the give you a rough idea of the weight that we're dealing with. But did not have coffee filters. Didn't have coffee filters, so that's why I'm talking to you now, feeling terrible. Not as terrible as you felt when Portland lost to Orlando, though. Oh my god! How did you make that? How did you do that? Because <laughs> I'm a professional. Losing, Portland losing to Orlando was way worse than Portland losing to Seattle. Okay, there were six games last week. Yeah. In a timeline, the first one is Portland tying Houston. Which one? F- well, I guess a tie is better than losing. But at least when you look at quality of opponent, I feel like tying Houston is kind of on the same level of losing to Orlando. Sorry, Houston. So, tying Houston, first off, I think the Thorns need to figure out an away strategy um it doesn't seem like there's a lot of preparation um (laughs) the thorns are doing this thing right now where they're taking 20 plus shots a match which is great Mm -hmm. like i remember back in the day when thorns would take less than five shots per match and you would sit there and go how the hell are you not just lighting up the scoreboard with shots and so this makes me really regret and really regret asking them to just shoot it because that's what they're doing now. And unfortunately, other teams have figured out just put your body in front of the ball. And yeah, tying Houston was discouraging. Losing to Seattle, then tying Houston. Like I, I wanted them. What, what I wanted in my heart of hearts was for them to get to Houston and be mad and be good. <laughs> and well, I don't think that that's a quality. That's not a quality that is a reasonable expectation as a fan. Mm. Like I think they just went mad to frustrated. Yeah. Instead of mad to like really really good. Here's two things that I think impacted the game in Houston. First, Andresinha started, and second, Tobin Heath started, and those are two new things that the team is dealing with. And a Haran Andresinha midfield is distinctly different from a Haran Bure midfield. I think once they have all their pieces in place, and that includes Ellie Carpenter, uh, once that includes Tobin Heath, who has her uh, leadership form from last year, not her current bad Tobin form, God, her current, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, her current, this is this is old Tobin form, what she's doing right now, it feels like. I'm starting a little column every time I do a recap that is just for, like, Tobin Heath turnovers. Or when Tobin Heath is supposed to get off the fucking pitch because we're trying to make a sub and she doesn't do it. 
I think once all of that kind of finds a little more of a rhythm, maybe, because like you said, Portland, like, is taking all these shots, but nothing's really going in. It's like they, they've got 90% of it figured out, and then the last 10% is just fuck all. The last 10%, it's like, all that's when you can really tell that this is a team of very independent, strong football players who haven't yet figured out how to pass the ball around enough to create open opportunities. They're thinking, how do I, no, they're not thinking this, but, but it feels like they're thinking, how do I get goal of the week? Oh, yikes. I mean, you look at the forward pool, Serna Gorsevich is not scoring. Sink. She got the one. She She got got one. Sink has been a trying here and there but and she did you know disappear on and off yeah um, Heath, which she tends to do yeah. she tends to turtle Heath in bad mode not in god mode uh, oh god Lucy is Lucy Mallory mm-hmm. Weber is like the epitome of 90% figured out 10% fuck all yep um, Purse is not really scoring even though she's putting in a hell of an effort in every single game She's doing an amazing job of creating chances. Yeah. Um, I think that that was really visible uh, in the Orlando match. And then Anumanu is still, you know... On the bench. On the bench and still a one-pace player who... If if Weber is 90% figured out, 10% fuck all, Anumanu might be 80% figured out, 20% fuck all. Yeah. So, not great. Not I'd great like both. to see her again. I'd we love... haven't seen Anamanu in a while. Didn't she play in the last game against Orlando? Did she? Yeah. For Anu, like 10 Anu minutes? Anamanu came on for Weber in the 64th minute against Orlando. Oh, Jesus. Maybe that's telling that you just, like, she's on for 25 minutes and she didn't make a single impression on you. I I did not notice. Um, I was also really mad for most of that Orlando badge. On the flip side, Houston... I think most people were like, oh, well, they're just going to be a last place team this year, it looks like. But the pieces are kind of starting to come together for them. Like, I, they're not they're not going to win the league this year, but I think they're going to do better than people thought they were going to do if everybody stays healthy. Yeah. Uh, it makes me wonder with Houston if it's, you know, I think we have this conversation once a year about different teams, but... Is it a coaching thing, or is it just the players coming together? Considering what we know about the coaching situation at Houston, actually, I still don't know. Right. Because... I mean, it could be it could be something where the players kind of, I guess, see the writing on the wall and go, well, fuck it. Like, just let them say what they're going to say. This is what we're going to do out on the pitch. I do think that they improved a little bit as Kaya Simon came in and settled in. And has kind of, you know, gotten the lay of the land. Um, uh-huh. She and Christy Mews obviously played together, so that shouldn't have taken too much to kind of create a good little partnership in the midfield. And also, they Houston has made arrangements. So Vera Powell started off Mewis and Daly as her fullbacks, right? But now she's uh-huh. relying on Christy Mewis to kind of help, along with Haley Hansen, to, to be the linchpin of that midfield. She's moved Daly back into her striker role, and Daly is, like, super threatening there now. By Houston standards, anyway. 
I was going to say, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's made some, some adjustments. Looks like it's kind of working. We'll see if Houston's last or if you're actually right and Washington's going to be last this year. Oh, God. I feel I feel for Washington. I really do. But they're who the Thorns play this week. So hmm. die, die, die. All right. So before we get there, the uh, second game from midweek was Utah Royal Zero, Orlando Pride Zero. It wasn't the worst zero zero game I've ever seen. It it was it, yeah. I was watching it out of the so I had all three screens going at one point. Wow. It wasn't the worst match, uh, but it wasn't a marquee event. No, I thought it was really interesting to see Orlando play at altitude. Um, it looked like they were slowed down. I I just I think altitude's going to be this X factor. That's going to impact the season, and unfortunately, it also impacts the Royals. Um, I was kind of hoping to see Utah go on a little bit of a spree, um, gobbling up some points during this home stretch that they've been on, because hopefully, the players have been getting used to the altitude. They've they've also kind of got a complete team now. They've got Gory and. Which is interesting to me because now their midfield is Jan's daughter, Gory, and D. Scott, which pushes Diana Matheson into a more of a forward area. When Diana Matheson, most of her life, or at least with the Canadian national team, for a number of years, has really been a midfielder. Like, almost a central attacking midfielder a lot. So now she's in that front line with Kelly O'Hara, A-Rod, and Diana Matheson. It's interesting on paper to me. I don't know. The the only really switch there that you can make is like pushing Jan's daughter out and dropping Matheson in to Gorian Scott. And that may in fact be what Laura Harvey wants, that, that positional flexibility. Uh, I mean, I like it. I, I really like it on paper. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that the Royals are, they just need to figure out where the button is. But they have the button. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they have all the pieces. Like, I don't think Houston is going to necessarily, like, go on a run and and do, like, six unbeaten matches or something like that. But I think Utah can do that. Yeah. I think overall this game was a little bit sleepy. Utah couldn't really figure out Orlando, and Orlando couldn't quite figure out Utah, so they were just in a mess in the middle of the field. Yeah. It just kind of would attack it nobody was looking extremely dangerous in the final third yeah finally we get to the weekend games so the game that really got your goat portland thorns won at home orlando pride two mm-hmm. and you think about the two orlando goals that were scored in this game the naren goal there's nothing anyone could do really I mean, maybe someone could have stepped to her and applied a little more pressure because she had Mitch. Room. Mitch could have, and this is where I'm going to get super nitpicky. She could have not cleared the ball back to the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that's super nitpicky. Like, uh, I've rewatched this match three times now. Winning those balls is important, obviously. And Orlando won the ball, and look how it turned out for them. The yep. First goal. <laughs> was like the epitome of Furt. It was horrible. 
was it we have it was such a good like the back line had such good formation we talked about Andresina and Heath and Houston and in this game I think they they both started and mm-hmm. they both got a full 90 and they still couldn't manage to break down Orlando mm. and break breakdown is the key like that is the key it's not how do we go out there and take the shots like they need to learn patience. Patience. And well, maybe this is the year where we all learn patience. Well, let's look at the stats. Uh, or Portland's listed as 24 shots to Orlando's 13. But they're listed at six shots on goal versus Orlando's seven. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of sums up the season they've been having so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could pull the trigger. We can. We can take the shots, but they hit bodies more often or posts or crossbars or they go in and then they're called off sides or they're called, they're called as a foul or something like that. They had 66.6% passing accuracy in this game, which I guess oh, is fitting because it was a devil of a time. The things to fix about the thorns. So here's the thing that I don't like. It's the year after they've won. Mm-hmm. Kind of revamped the team a little bit. Got a lot of new faces in there, so we've done this one before. And then we're also going to be hosting the NWSL final. Like, I don't know how many more jinxes can be put on this squad. It's the jinxes. It's all the jinxes' fault. Get someone with some sage in the stadium, you know? Oh, my God. Not just a handful, like, make a bonfire's worth of it and just... Build a bonfire in the middle of the stadium? Yeah. On the plastic pitch? Yeah. I'm sure someone would love it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. It's totally going to get approved. I don't know what to tell you, pal. No. Let's talk about other teams. Okay. Because Portland isn't doing the worst. They're just not doing well. (laughs) North Carolina won. Washington Spirit zero. Speaking of Portland not doing the worst. Oh, Spirit. I was really surprised by the scoreline, actually. Yeah, that's the thing. Washington held up pretty well against North Carolina. It was only 1-0. Mm-hmm. And it took them a long time to get that one. They scored in, like, the 63rd minute, and it had to be an Abby Ersig header. I think it was, like, a mm-hmm. set play. So, you know, Washington did all that. I think they might be getting Rose Lavelle back in the next couple weeks. Like, actually. We'll see if she gets some limited minutes... I don't know if I'd bet for that against Portland. That's a hell of a way to return to the game. Maybe they might want to, like, you know, the new goldfish, you slowly lower it inside the bag into the fish tank. No, or you just dump it right in and survival of the fittest, man. No, no, I want the survival of her hamstring. Survival of the fittest! This is NWSL. Yeah, so even though Washington Spirit, they're currently 8th in the standings, I think, um... It's a, it's kind of a, they really shouldn't be eighth. You know what I'm saying? Well, they should be based on the way that they've been playing this season. But on paper, yes. Yeah. I agree. When you have a lineup like they do, um, you know, but I would also, uh, and maybe I'm, maybe I've talked about this enough in the past, but I would question... The ability that Jim Gabara has to coach a squad at that level. 
What I'm concerned about is how he's developing Andy Sullivan. I've talked about it before, but she is not... She's she's being slow right now to cover the gap from college to pro. I feel like there are a number of players that fall into that category. On the spirit or just in general? Just in general. Yeah. The rest of the spirit, I think uh, Benini is doing pretty well. Houston's struggling on and off. Um, but Pew, Ordega, Hatch... I really like those players for Washington. And now that they've got Rebecca Quinn in there regularly holding down the defense, I mean, we saw her against North Carolina. She she really held it down. So if if maybe Taylor Smith can also kind of get her mojo back and Rose Lavelle can come back healthy and Pew and Hatch can work out this partnership. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lot of ifs, but... There are a lot of ifs in that statement. But it means they have the elements they need to dig their way out of eighth. It's just a matter of will they. I think every NWSL team has the elements that they need. I don't think, like, even looking at a team like Houston, I don't look at that squad and say, mm, they're always going to be a B team. I, I just, I think that there are those key attributes of what's going to bring them together and what's going to get them focused on earning points because first like if you think about the evolution of a squad you've got to like most things start with um you know communication and and getting like getting on the same page then you focus on getting points and it's like we just need some of these teams to advance beyond communication and getting on the same page well, it's interesting you should mention I look at Houston Dash and I don't see, you know, a complete furt up because their 2-2 tie against Chicago, that really felt like something they could have won. And they just kind of, it slipped out of their grasp sort of when um, Chicago picked up that penalty kick. Like, yeah, I think I think Houston or Washington are completely capable. I think that they have the roster, they have... You know, I don't think that we're looking at any squads that sit here and go, God, if only they had a goal scorer. Or, oh, if only they had better defense. Like, everybody has all the pieces that they need. Mm-hmm. Well, it's how are they all coming together. You look at Chicago. First of all, they got Julie Ertz back for this game. She only played a half. But, it, you know, she wasn't uh, lagging or anything. They pushed her pretty high in this game, so she was constantly in the box. Constantly, She was a, a constant target while she was in there, and it, it just wasn't happening. Uh, and Houston also picked up that early goal with Daly. It was a nice goal. It kind of illustrates how Daly really needs to be in that striker position because they got her the ball, she went on a breakaway, and then she had this beautiful little finish past Alyssa Nair, which hurt me deep in my soul. But it was beautiful. And it's the kind of thing Rachel Daly's very capable of. It wasn't a fluke. And then on the flip side, Sam Kerr was trying. Boy, she was trying. But, I mean, Houston was kind of keeping it disciplined back there. So things weren't getting pulled out of formation to allow Sam Kerr enough space to really exploit that. Yeah, I think I think Houston, you know, they're, they're coming together. Fortunately, and there just might not be enough runway. We'll, we'll see. I also liked their their second goal. It was another. It was a set piece play, and they just completely bamboozled Chicago with it. It was a a free kick, like outside the eighteen yard. Did you see this? I did not. I have not seen this. So it's a free kick, 
what they do is they had Muis on the very end of the Chicago wall and they had Kaya Simon inside of it. Daily, short little pass to Kaya Simon, right? At the same time, Muis peels off around the shoulder, gets in behind the wall. And her, you know, no player really tracks her in. Kaya Simon essentially just dinks the ball in to Muis, who she knows is making the run behind her. Muis scores. No, I totally, I totally saw this when there was like the goal of the week voting. Yeah. And I, and I thought, oh shit, (laughs) like, where did this come from? Those three are going to be very important for Houston. Muis Daly Simon. So I think we have two more games to talk about. Actually, it's just one more game. Okay. Seattle Rain 4, Sky Blue FC 1. So probably after the Portland loss, your second least favorite game to talk about. Oh, I just, I'm getting really upset at Megan Rapino. I know, I know. Your upsetness <sighs> is like inversely proportional to the delight of Seattle fans. Yes, and I'm fully aware of that. And I'm fully, fully aware of how dumb it is to get upset at another team's success when it's not at the detriment of your team. Mm-hmm. But oh my god, I'm I'm over it, Megan Rapino. Absolutely. Sky Blue really could not do much. I think McCaskill tried, because God, she tries every game. You know what? Carly Lloyd tried here and there. She tried to help, like, shuttle the ball between the lines, um, maybe break the back line with that final pass, but mm, not quite. What I really like in Sky Blue is the combo of Savannah McCaskill and Katie Johnson. You know, Shea Groom can come along too, but the McCaskill-Johnson combo is what I really, really like. I think what do you that, like about it? Um, McCaskill sets him up and Katie Johnson knocks him down. McCaskill's such a creative player. She sees stuff that the rest of us don't. She's willing to take little risks. She's, you know, and Katie Johnson seems to kind of get McCaskill's mindset. And she gets into positions where it's like, how is she going to score? Oh my God, she's got a chance on goal. That's, that's a really fun partnership to watch where they're both a kind of at least half a step ahead of everybody else. The only problem is there's nine other players on that team who aren't quite on the same page. You know, you can't play two versus 11. Well, and at the, you know, that's, that's a problem there is looking at what are the solutions? How do you get the other players on the team? So it's not just two versus 11. Like how, how does that enthusiasm spread? There were two problems, I think, that I really noticed in that game. One is uh, Christina Gibbons. She's been playing right back for Sky Blue, and I don't think she's a good right back. I think she tries really hard, but I think she's being played out of position, maybe out of a little bit of roster necessity. And I think if they could find a better spot for, for Gibby, maybe move her into the midfield again, where, she, where, where Vladko played her, that could really help open things up. The other thing that I kind of noticed is uh, Janine Becky <laughs> was not super great in that midfield position. I think she's a forward. She's just a forward who needs help from her midfield. That's all I got. I'm just a forward looking at my midfield, Some... asking them <laughs> to pass to me. Exactly. Some people are Crystal Dunn's or Kelly O'Hara's, you know? they have... Versatile. They, they have the athleticism and the smarts to shift around the field and do well. Uh-huh. Some people 
have one position really that they excel at. I mean, and that's okay. Look at Abby Wambach. She's uh, she made an amazing career out of being able to play one position. Yeah, because she did one thing and she did it better than anybody else in the world. Sometimes right. that's what a team needs. I don't think that's what Janine Becky is, but you know, we'll see. So that was the that was the week in NWSL. So the So now, now we're 7 weeks into a 24 week season. Seven weeks in, and yet, um, Sky Blue has played five games, and Chicago has played nine games. <laughs> Parody, it's such a good thing, isn't it? Thanks to the vagaries of our weird schedule this season. Well, and also, you know, nine teams as opposed to an even schedule. Yeah, and our weird schedule, like all the bye weeks. Right? And all of the international breaks that are coming up. So I think there's still plenty of room for shakeups here in this table. Although North Carolina are already seven points clear at the top, and that's probably going to widen as the season goes on. But It's so infuriating. But the next three spots, Seattle Rain 13, Orlando Pride 12, Chicago 11, and then poor Portland dropped out of top four with nine. But still, that's, that's a lot of wiggle room. And there's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Between position two and seven. So Seattle has 13 points. Houston Dash have seven points. You still got two thirds of the seasons left. Anything could happen. Speaking of Houston Dash and speaking of the coaching situation there that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Boy, what do you think? It's not a good look. Same. Not a good look. Um... You know, people change, but man, he's got quite the uphill battle. Um, One of the points that was made by, I can't remember who, was just NWSL lacks a lot of female coaches to begin with. So why are we just giving a coaching position to a guy who is partial to the club? A guy who... Looks to be a virulent Islamophobe. Yes. And I would say a sexist. A sexist who has said unkind things about a player on his own roster. Not great. Not, Not great. great. This is this uh this to me echoes of some of the chatter I've heard just about Houston's front office and the way it feels like Houston is just phoning it in. One of the interesting things to me is that Vera Powell tweeted after a while that they looked for a female assistant coach, but they could not find someone who was qualified and was willing to work for what Houston was offering. She was like, college pays too well. And to a certain extent, it's understandable, right? We've seen there are plenty of coaches in the college game who people have floated as, why don't they come to NWSL? It's like, are you kidding me? Why would, for example, Amanda Cromwell ever leave UCLA? Why would Becky Burley or Leslie Gallimore ever leave their teams where they're, you know, big fish, probably getting decent head coach money? But this is an AC position on a pro women's team in a in a pro league where, you know, most of the women's national team plays. And for what they were offering, they could not find anybody who was willing to leave probably 35, 40 grand a year. It's it's maddening because you sit there and you like I would think that U.S. soccer 
So, so if Houston's running into this problem, I would say, hey, U.S. Soccer, give us, give us your names. Give us the names of up-and-coming coaches that would be interested in this type of gig. Mm-hmm. Well, she said they worked with U.S. Soccer, and even then, they couldn't find anybody. Here's my question. Vera Powell, when she came to the league, admitted she needed an American assistant coach because she didn't really know the landscape in America. So that means to me, during this coaching search, she was entirely reliant on Houston's network in order to reach out and look for coaches. I don't think Vera Powell has a great network in America right now to look for female assistant coaches. Does Houston inspire confidence when you say the term network of professional women? No. They they had Lisa Cole. and They did. Lisa Cole, I think, has a lot of ties in the soccer community. Admittedly, she left, so maybe you can't go to her and be like, Hey, Lisa, we know you left because, you know, you didn't like working for Vera, but could you give us all your contacts? Right. Could you write us a letter of recommendation? But Lisa Cole, I think she currently still is. She was the chair of the NSCAA Women's Committee. Now, USC. There should not have been a shortage. Now, maybe Houston is being blacklisted. (laughs) <laughs> the, that's the flip side even if the network is good can you imagine maybe the word has gotten out about houston houston comes knocking they're like hello would you like to work for the houston de- hello hello right like their calls are getting screened because oh shit word's gotten out about houston yeah R- randy waldrum maybe has been wagging his tongue about town who knows? I mean, Randy could have been like, not that Lisa would go around, but if Lisa isn't going to recommend something, that says a lot. Mm. I hope Houston figures out what to do about this Eddie Robinson situation. Like, I can't imagine if Nadia and Nadine were still in the league. I, I don't know if any other players are openly practicing Muslims or, or not even practicing, just they have Muslim heritage. Right. And... You see Houston hiring a man like that, like when you hire someone who's that openly hateful in his in in his beliefs, theoretically based on you know his Twitter activity, and he's a representative of the team. I think it diminishes the entire league. I really do. Uh, I mean the whole league, yes, but what what do you expect the league to do? In no, this exactly. You're right, but it. I think it makes like I I personally I I'm of the opinion that it is a very bad precedent for Houston to set. Yeah, I mean, obviously the onus is on Houston here, but when I say diminish the league, it what's special about NWSL so far has been, to me, it's so much more inclusive and diverse than uh-huh. a lot of you know men's soccer counterparts. And I just hate to see someone like that in a position of authority on any team. That's all. Who knows? Maybe yeah. other coaches in this league, maybe some of them are are real dickbags, but they haven't broadcasted on Twitter like he has. He's seemingly very proud of his beliefs. So, right, which which I think a lot of people are until they've been proven to be wrong. Mm. Like that's that's the most infuriating part of this entire political culture that we're that that we're stuck in right now mm-hmm. is everybody is firm in their beliefs and nobody is evaluating the correctness right yeah it's, it, and it's not just different beliefs 
it's like this the specific toxicity of his beliefs there's a difference between conservatism like oh i believe in small government states rights stuff like that versus what he's endorsing which is parkland conspiracies islamophobia and then also you know the the sexism so when you are like liking cartoons of uncle sam with a gun in his mouth and a cartoon finger that says islam cocking the trigger like and you're liking stuff about how western civilization will be obliterated by islam like that is really like distressing stuff and to then be in a position of leadership yeah i would not feel comfortable being coached by someone like that even if i myself were not a muslim that kind of person in a position of authority over me if i'm not white straight you know able-bodied I I don't want anything to do it because I don't trust that person to consider me a human being on the same level as him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. So let's finish on a more positive note, hopefully. Uh, score predictions for next week. So first up, quick fire. Utah at home hosting Houston Dash. I'm going to say two to one Salt Lake. Ooh. Okay. You know what? I agree with you. Ah, oh, shit. I know. This is bad. Ah, oh, shit. Right out of the gates. I think Houston's gonna have give us an entertaining game, but the altitude's gonna get to him. Oh, the altitude's... The, any team, whichever team figures out altitude like, is gonna, you know, get a few extra points. Houston's coming from sea level. They're going up to Utah. Yeah. Okay. Washington Spirit hosting Portland Thorns. Mm, my heart of hearts, four to nothing, Portland. Jesus Christ. I'm voting with my heart this week. I gotta I gotta turn it up. I okay. gotta turn it up. Okay, I'm gonna say two nothing for Portland. Yes. Okay, Sky Blue at home hosting North Carolina Courage. Yikes. Okay, you go. I am gonna say two to nothing for North Carolina. Um I'm gonna say one to one. Ooh, yeah. I'm I'm calling it. This I, is the week that North Carolina gets tripped up a little bit. You know what? I hope you're right. I hope I by are. Sky Blue. Mm-hmm. And then last of game, all teams, Seattle Rain hosting Chicago at home. Oh man. Um. Oh, is this the game Chicago kind of gets together? I, I feel like it could be. I'll call this actually three to two for seattle i think it's gonna be a crazy game i'm gonna say two to one chicago oh okay okay yeah 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 i'm feeling crazy this week well um yeah i mean i'm just uh portland's gonna hit a stride this week and they're just gonna figure it out and the last piece is gonna fall into place and it's just gonna be bonkers and i'm gonna love every second of it all four games one day saturday Again, because because, you know, we love our weekends and just watching Woso the entire time. I love sitting in front of a computer for eight hours. I do it every day. Right. Like, oh, I love I love just tuning in. Actually, that's what I spend my Sundays doing. Mm-hmm. OK, well, OK, now let's catch up. So that was our preview for, I guess, week eight. Why don't you guys let us know what you think? You know, season is taking shape. We're starting to see the 
things coming into focus. It's like you're backing away from the Monet and you're like, oh, I see water lilies. We'll see who's a water lily and who's a blob. Oh, God. I don't want to be a blob. 